This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Libraries are places with a wealth of information, but who decides which information is available? Today, we're having a real talk about Colorado's public libraries, from the push to ban what's on the shelves, to how librarians are evolving to serve everyone in their community. How libraries are turning the page, Welcome to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. And I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Haffel. Each week, in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we'll have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. This week, we're talking about public libraries and the role they play in Colorado communities. Libraries are places that offer a safe space close to home, but over the past few years, they faced controversy over the content on their shelves. One of the most recent situations happened in Douglas County. Danielle Kreuter has more on the appeal to pull four books that include topics related to the LGBTQ community and what the library decided to do. Because I think that the, the folks that are trying to ban these books really thought they could come in under the radar. Sue's Loth is part of a community group trying to put an end to a recent book ban attempt. Were you surprised that something like this was happening in a public library? I was shocked, absolutely shocked. The books in question all include LGBTQ themes across different genres, fiction, nonfiction, a memoir, and a children's book. Zlaw said it would have changed her life if these books were in libraries when she was growing up as a member of the LGBTQ community herself. Seeing shows on TV, seeing things in the newspaper and magazines and online help these kids to understand they're not alone and that they are normal and it's okay. And, I, and that is, that's the next generation. I mean, it's so important for these kids to be able to have those resources. Several months ago, Aaron Wood of the Freedom Fathers Facebook page filed an appeal to get the books taken off of shelves. Denver 7 got in contact with him and others who have spoken in favor of pulling these books all of them declined to talk with us on camera. However, in Wood's appeal, he described the works as, quote, hypersexualized material that, quote, exposed children to sexual content and gender dysphoria. I'll quote here in his appeal, the destructive homosexual lifestyle. That is not an item at which I can opine on. It, it's, it's outside the boundaries of what, as a public library, we would make a judgment about. The executive director of Dugco Libraries decided to keep the books after investigating a few things. How many times are customers using the book? How widely is it being distributed? Well, I also then look at the same things that our book buyers look at. Um, they forward me all the professional reviews and recommendations about the book. The majority of books are already in the adult section, with the exception of one. It's a children's picture book that you sing with small children, and it doesn't fit any of the genres we would have with an adult collection. In Douglas County, I'm Danielle Kreuter, Denver 7. You know, it's completely understandable that there needs to be some oversight on what's on our library's bookshelves. But I will say, when we talk about book bans and we talk about it in 2023, I'm a little taken aback. It, it brings up a lot of issues there, right? But I think there is definitely, uh, the conversation is growing and, and, and we have to have that discussion, I think. Absolutely. So following decision from the executive director, the Douglas County Library Board of Trustees voted unanimously to keep the books on the shelves. Yeah, and we're joined now by that director, Bob Pasnick. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to. Absolutely. So what factors do you consider when someone files for a book to be banned? 
I'm the third person to have the conversation. So there are really professional staff members that have already had the conversation. Usually there's a verbal conversation. It's not unusual for people to encounter a book that elicits all kinds of emotions, rage, um, curiosity, you know, anger. The, the bigger point is when somebody actually wants to remove it where you can't read it. And when that happens, uh, you try to put yourself in an empathetic position, say, where are they coming from? How can we find some kind of common ground? And sometimes there's not common ground that you can find. If we're going to remove somebody else's rights to read the book, that's really not common ground. Um, I can think of all kinds of examples, though, where we found some. Where uh, We found books in the collection. We had one this last month where somebody said, it's dealing with suicide. It's dealing with some really tough issues. Is this the right spot for it? And after we really ran that to the ground, we thought maybe there was a better place for us to locate the book. So I think it depends on what someone's really asking from us. Or they, um, and then after that, um, what's their motivation? In, in this case, we have books that have been on national lists where you're supposed to um, approach your library, ask for them to be removed. Um, that's not sufficient grounds for us to, to answer that kind of request. Now, is this a common thing that you're seeing? Has it always happened where someone's like, hey, I'm going to file this and say I don't want this book here anymore? Or is this relatively new? Uh, libraries have had challenges to what's on their shelves, I think, since there's been a library. I think the amount of those, um, a lot of professional associations already um, total every year how many of those challenges they are. I think they're up 300%. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not unusual, but this amount of those requests are unusual. And what went through your mind when you saw the appeal to get these four books banned? I know you mentioned they were on some sort of national list. Uh, the first thing that I think about is, okay, what, what are they asking here? Um, right up front, the, the customer asked us to remove them because they were a buyer about gay people. And that right there just sort of moves that request off the table because it frankly would be illegal for us to approach it in that fashion. Um, after that, you, you go back over your processes, the same processes our professional folks do every day when they pick books, and make sure that we were doing exactly what we should have doing. We're, we're fallible human beings, and so we look over the statistics on what our public's asking for us. We don't keep books that no one is reading. If, if there is already demand for the book, that's probably the single biggest driver for us. And then after that, we look at professional reviews. We look for national sales totals to see if, if there's really interest in the book across the country. Um, there are probably 10 different data points that our book buyers use. We just cruise back through that set of data and see if, yes, we would have done this again. Did we make a mistake in this case? And the same with the location of the item. Is there a better place to do this? Is there a rationale that, that isn't imposing my moral framework on you? that still makes sense for us to move the book to a different location. And I think that opens up a very important question about the balance, and it may not even be balanced, but the desire to have someone say, I really want to look at this book, and someone else saying, I don't want to look at that book, and where does the library fit into all of that? Libraries, by their very nature, are going to represent a pluralistic society and a, a diverse community. So you would expect that I, in almost every topic, I've tried to find a topic where something can't really impact you in an adverse way let's say cooking sure right on the shelf um, right next to the pulled pork bible is a is a book on vegan cooking those are a little antithetical right so there's no topic where we wouldn't have some interface where somebody could say that's not for me or that's not in keeping with my family's values we want to be really cognizant when we're working with somebody that their values reign supreme and we can help them um, find the books that are right inside of the wheelhouse of what they're looking for the biggest issue is 
if they said to us, hey, I actually want to make decisions for my neighbor, and that that's where this gets to be out of bounds. Wow, we only have a few seconds left, but what's something you want our viewers and listeners to know about Douglas County Libraries? I think I would want uh, everyone to know um, what they would know about almost every library I've ever encountered in the nation is, is that the staff members that are there um, are exceptional, and they really introduce reading to folks in a way that um, challenges their life, lets them put themselves in places that they would never be able to go. Um, it is a, a place of imagination and a place where, where people can find connection. Great. Well, Bob Pasnick, thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. Well, to the next chapter of our Real Talk about Colorado libraries, we take a look at the new and evolving roles of librarians. Coming up, we take our questions straight to the source and check out how they're dealing with the changes over the past few years. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Librarians are a vital part of all libraries. They're in charge of putting together collections and education programs, as well as managing library databases. That's on top of having the knowledge to answer basically any literary questions you might have. Now, I'm sure a lot of you could credit a librarian for giving you that one book that helped you get an A on a school project like me. <laughs> <laughs> While librarians are responsible for all of the jobs, including your A, yes. we just mentioned as times have changed and so have their responsibilities as well. We're joined now by Rachel Fuel with the Denver Public Library. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we start with the personal question. Yeah. How long have you been a librarian? And is this a profession you always wanted to go into? Were you five years old, little Rachel, wanting to be a librarian? <laughs> Great question. Um, I've been a librarian for about 20 years now. Um, I did not think I was going to be a librarian when I was a young child. Um, I did have great formative experiences. My mom went back to college when I was in kindergarten, so got to go to the library with her while she was studying, and my sister and I got to run wild and pick out all the books we wanted to have. And so that was a really, I think, key experience for me as a child. Um, but when I graduated from college, I was graduating into kind of the tech boom, um, and I was an English major, so didn't really have anywhere to go with that <laughs> at the moment. So um, I went back to school and I got my master's degree um, and then ended up as a librarian. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's been wild. So over the past 20 years, um, how has the role of a librarian changed? A lot. <laughs> Our role has changed quite a I bit. You'd say that. I thought you'd say yeah. That. So also, when I was graduating from college, the internet was becoming a, a very prevalent place to right. find information. Right. So much of the library, as as a career, was shifting in a big way, moving from books and looking things up on CD-ROM. Um, if if they were digitized, that's how you had to do it. Um, to finding things on the internet and understanding what that was all about. So that was a big shift. Also at the time, um, the Patriot Act had just passed, um, which had a provision that the FBI could search library records. Um, and we, as a profession, not a fan. Uh, we really like to protect people's privacy and um, keep records private and confidential to anyone who's checking things out. Um, and in that provision, a number of librarians, the Connecticut Four, 
we're fighting against the U.S. government. <laughs> so this is the environment I entered the library field. Yeah. And since then, so much has changed politically. Our jobs, um, while weren't very political 20 years ago, are very political right now. Um, we're seeing libraries under attack for programming, for um I think really expanding the reach from just um, maybe focusing on popular materials and um, things we can assume people want to really taking a deliberate shift to start to meet the values of our full community and understand what our role is in terms of providing an, a welcoming, inclusive and equitable space for everyone in our communities. You mentioned that the milieu is definitely a challenge. Uh, what would you say is the biggest challenge, though, right now? Is is that the biggest challenge? I think in some libraries, the biggest challenge is that kind of hanging kind of threat of, is somebody going to, you know, challenge my me today mm-hmm. <laughs> in the library? You know, we're seeing that across, I think, customer service in general. Yeah. Um, but I think for for me, it's really, I think, shifting the systems that we have in place to make sure that we're prepared for those kind of challenges and so that we are deliberate in our actions to make sure we continue to be uh, an equitable space that is breaking down barriers and opening our doors to everyone. I think what fascinates me is that uh, one minute you can be helping someone with a catalog and checking it out. And then the next you're like, someone needs my essential service to help them out because of some reason and how that must have changed from 20, 30 years ago. 100%. I feel like libraries have changed from becoming, from being a place to study, to do your homework assignments, to that might be the only place a kid has after school. That might be a place, the only place an unhoused person has to use a toilet during the day. And see someone in crisis. Correct. And, and we have changed our staffing model to adjust to that. Um, Especially when working in a large urban library, like my library building, we have hired social workers and peer navigators. So we were understanding, you know, probably 10 years ago, a little bit more that people were coming in with different sets of challenges. It wasn't just, how do I get an email account? How do I check this out? Can you help me with my school assignment? It was, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. I have no home. Can you help me? I don't have any shoes. Um, And so we're seeing people in literally their moments of crisis and working to help match them to the community organizations we know are available in town. And, and real quick, final question. Do you as a librarian welcome that change? Is that something you were embracing or is that concerning to you? I completely welcome the shift in our community and the way that we can step up to serve the people in our community. I think we have a lot of catching up to do, though, in terms of our full shift in our systems to say, these systemic problems are systemic. They don't belong to the library, but the library is part of the solution. Um, and that's a part of the solution, right? We need to our federal, state, local governments to be really stepping in to help people in their times of crisis. All right. Rachel Fuel with Denver Public Libraries. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We're continuing this Real Talk on Colorado Libraries. As the roles for those working at these public places have changed, so have the services libraries offer. Coming up, we're showing you an organization that's ushering a new way to library. This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News.
Welcome back to Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Today we're talking about libraries and the impact they've had on our community with advancements in technology and changes to the way we research. Libraries have had to make some changes to keep up with the time. It's so true. I went to see how one library has changed so many things and the new and exciting services that they have to offer. My name is Mark Fink and I'm the executive director for Anything Libraries. And today we're at our beautiful Wright Farms location in Thornton, Colorado. I want to start with your thoughts on what a library is for people today. So that's a really broad question. I think a library can be, uh, a library is what you need it to be depending on who you are as a person. Um, I think that one of the things here at Anything that we do really well is we try and meet our customers where they are. Uh, so we provide a really welcoming environment for folks when they come in to visit us. People feel like uh, we offer that social connection. Um, and then we also respond to folks and, and their needs by offering different programs that, that we offer. So today we had a yoga program. Uh, we also have some really great uh, book clubs that we have for adults. Um, we've got programs of all, of all kinds for, uh, for children and families and teens. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think that based on what we hear from our customers, we try and respond to those needs. And then also we have a really great focus on arts and culture. And I think it's the breadth of what a library provides these days. Um, it's no longer the Dewey Decimal System. It's no longer the card catalog. It really is, like you said, yoga. It is a space people can go outside and have this interaction with nature. Um, but also I think we're gonna be seeing like a studio space where people can learn how to game yeah. or, or to do VR. Has that changed in the past 20 years and why has the library shifted to things like that as opposed to just checking out a book? I think that one of the things that uh, Anything has done really well is really evolve. Uh, so Anything has been Anything for about 14 years. And I think that uh, we, we, might, we were Adams County Public Library and uh, then we evolved and became Anything. And really that idea is to kind of uh, provide, you know, creative experiences and welcoming experiences for people. I mean, I even saw up there, there was like a, a bird feeder with a camera in it you could check out, right? And, and a violin or something like that. We have there. complete podcasting kits. We have, uh, we have uh, gigantic uh, dinosaur costumes that people can wear. I think that our staff have been really creative about finding things that, you know, there might be a barrier to entry for some folks to want to buy those things without trying it first. So we, uh, we provide that experience for them. So we are in this forest. Yeah. <laughs> so we are in the children's area. Um, this is, to me, just the most magical place that we have here at Anything. Yeah. Um, our trees here were designed by movie set designers. Um, and as you can see, this tree is the yeah. home to several birds and other creatures, as well as fireflies. The big thing for me is it's not quiet. It's not and quiet. And I think that's really interesting. <laughs> that's is right. Is that a philosophy yeah. where it is. Yeah, so I don't see a giant do not talk or exactly. you know, yeah. yeah. So um, really just by the nature of the space, we, we really invite people to come in and be authentically whoever they need to be in that yeah. moment. Um, and so for kids, you know, play is loud sometimes. It's messy, it's chaotic. And, um, and we believe that people of all ages learn through play. It's primarily used by our teen customers who come in and learn to um, 
learn to play music, learn yeah. to record their own music. I feel right at home. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> this <Yeah>. is <laughs> you know, where, I, where I live, or, you yeah. know, for, for radio and stuff. Do you do podcasting and things like that? We do, yeah. We have classes um, for all ages on, on different styles of recording, yeah. um, how to, you know, podcasting 101. Really, the philosophy behind the studio is it's an informal learning space. Uh, centered on production activities, utilizing uh, 21st century digital tools. So think creative technologies. Yeah. And some of the main tools that we have that always stay in this space are the large format printer, yeah. our 3D printers, and our laser cutter engravers, uh, as well as our Cricut machine. And then we rotate out a lot of the other stuff and we can actually yeah, go let's, in. Let's take a look, yeah. This is like really, we have workspaces that are messy yeah. to encourage people to create and just get their hands dirty. Right. Uh, we provide all of the tools and resources, including consumables, for people to get started. Because the biggest flaw. What does that mean? Consumables, like the, the, so, the material. Yeah, the actual material, so that people don't have to purchase any materials. Oh. Everything is provided for uh, them, just because we want to lower the barrier to participation and access and so we have something called studio kits okay where um, they're like maker tools that um, our library staff can request and I will deliver them to the different uh, one of the seven different locations that we have That's so cool. um, and so those studio kits include like 3d printers sewing machines uh, iPads digital cameras so on and so forth so every six months we uh, rotate out our mini focus yeah, yeah. and our current mini focus is VR, AR um, and gaming and so we do have uh, VR2 for PS5 that we can pull out yeah. uh, for individuals who want to try the whole VR experience with the PS5. I keep hearing it throughout the day, meeting your customers where they're at. Yes. And how this is something that teens and young kids are like, I want to do this. And yeah you're lowering that barrier yeah. to get them here. Yeah. yeah, and so the thing is we don't want to be just um, uh, attached to a space because sure. again, the studio is a philosophy of informal learning. My mind is blown. Yes. Had no idea. I mean, the lab with the VR, no idea that libraries offer so much and like technological advancements as well. That's right. And these things are free for the public to use. It is part of the services that the library provides. And while I was there, we saw camping chairs that you can check out. We saw bird feeders with little cameras that you can check out. So many things that really expand what a library means to the community. Viewers and listeners, this is your sign. Get that library card. <laughs> That's right. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. And you can find all of our shows on denver7.com slash realtalk or at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.